0: I suppose the most popular subject in our world is the subject of love. We hear about it all the time, we sing about it and uh, we see movies that are about it and it just seems that so much of our focus is on one kind of love or another. Uh, Some years ago Uh, there was a a song that had uh, these lyrics, what the world needs now is love sweet love. Who could disagree with that? But uh, some wag protested saying all you need is love well think of the captain of the Titanic singing it to his passengers. As for me I would rather have a lifeboat. Ah! but you know maybe there's a connection there because real love meets real needs and maybe love can provide the lifeboat and certainly in the parable of the Good Samaritan that was just read you have the biblical example of the lifeboat being provided Last week, we looked at the great commandment in Matthew 22, where a legal expert, a lawyer, asks Jesus, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? And our Lord answers him that you are to love the Lord your God with your whole person, heart, mind, will, strength, soul, all that is in you, and, uh, and your neighbor as yourself and so last week we considered especially the first part loving God with our whole persons and uh, we noted also that there's an inter interdependence there but uh, recognizing that the beginning the foundation of it all is really love for God that that comes first Uh, not necessarily in chronological order I I think of uh, little babies and I think of our children and I think of your children Uh, their first experience of love has to do with human love right and so it's not necessarily a chronological order that we love God first and then we love others but that love for God is the first priority and it's the foundation on everything else well today we're looking especially at neighbor love and we're looking at it as illustrated in the parable of the Good Samaritan and again it's a lawyer uh, Old Testament legal expert uh, recognized religious authority who asks Jesus the question what is the what must I do to inherit eternal life and uh, then Jesus turns the uh, question right back to him what is written in the law how do you read it and uh, the legal expert really says the same thing that we saw in Matthew that you are to love the Lord your God with your whole person and your neighbor as yourself and uh, then Jesus says yeah you go for it do it it's the right thing to do but then for some reason and we're not really told why that lawyer asked him and who who is my neighbor and it is at that point that Jesus tells that story which uh, one uh, Christian leader of a generation ago David Hubbard says has probably become the most famous story in the world You think he's right the story of the Good Samaritan probably the most famous story in the whole world may very well be and certainly I notice how the very word Samaritan has become a metaphor for doing good for expressing neighbor love three travelers one at a time, come upon this beat-up victim. He's been robbed. He's described as half-dead. There was a priest, an outstanding citizen, a man of God, a leader within Judaism. He's a descendant of Aaron's noble family and an heir of Levi's religious office, dedicated to the service of God. And like the lawyer who this conversation is taking place with, with Jesus. He was learned in the law. He sees the desperate victim needing help. Surely he will stop. But no. It says he passes by on the other side. And next there's a Levite that comes by. He was part of the temple staff. He was in charge of the vessels and the repair of the furnishings. And also he would participate in the music at the festive celebrations. But he also passed by on the other side. And then there's a third man who's also destined to travel that same road that day. Not too likely that he's going to stop, however. Because this man belongs to both the wrong race and the wrong religion. He is a despised. Samaritan. Now they were originally people of Israel, but their bloodlines got mixed with other peoples, and thus uh, they were defiled in worship. And uh, that was true since the days of the Assyrian captivity. Samaritans, they were outcasts. And he also sees the man, he's captivated by the man's desperate need he stops and he asks and so that Samaritan becomes the model the hero the leading character that dramatizes neighbor love I'm going to look at that and I want to make three observations that come out of the story In the way the story describes neighbor love and I begin with this observation that it was unleashed driven motivated by compassion now I think it's significant here that Jesus makes it very clear that each of these travelers all three of them actually saw the victim. Uh, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Likewise the Levite, he saw him, it says, and he passed by on the other side. Samaritan, when he saw him, he took pity on him you know there is a seeing and there is a seeing we can see something we can look at something with indifference or we can really see something with our heart responding to it and sometimes the difference is, is just neutral uh, you you know you've probably noticed how husband and wife how you don't you don't see the same things right If uh, we're going past a a really well-kept house with a well-kept yard, uh, guess what my wife notices? Be the flowers and the shrubs. And uh, me, good old farm boy from Grand Prairie, Alberta, guess what I see? I notice the grass and how well mold it is and how healthy it looks and all these things you see we see different things and but also what we really see what we really see can be an indication of what is in our hearts the Samaritan saw the need and it says that his heart was moved It says that he NIV he took pity or the ESV, he had compassion. RSV, and I like the way it's rendered there, it says when he saw him, he saw him, he was moved, moved with pity. Somehow that drove him to do something. It unleashed his love. And I borrowed that expression from a book written by Gary Thomas called Authentic Faith. And he says that in a fallen world, love begs to be unleashed. Think of a hungry German shepherd that has been leashed for several hours. He is hungry. Food is poured into his tray. He sees it. He smells it. But he's on a leash and he can't reach it. He is on his hind legs begging to be unleashed. In a fallen world, says Thomas, love begs to be unleashed fallen world how evil was the world really attacked beaten robbed abandoned left to die reminds me of the wild west but of course you're all thinking right now that is it any less evil today I mean it seems that every week there is something new on television that Uh, It's almost like it plums the depths of cruelty. But it's against that backdrop of a fallen world, a backdrop of evil, that love is needed and begs to be unleashed. And his love wasn't just, I feel so bad about that poor, unfortunate man, but it was a compassion that acted the word means a deep feeling of sympathy and in this text this pity is translated into sacrificial sacrificial action because it cost him something to act as you know sympathy is a relationship between individuals in which whatever affects the one affects the other in a similar way and that's what's going on here compassion pity Fred Buechner has described compassion as that capacity, sometimes fatal, for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you. I think as a a fellow human, we, we can easily imagine how that Samaritan if he had passed by on the other side and had carried on how that he really would not be at peace his conscience would have bothered him but there's a there's an obvious connection here between that very meaning of uh, compassion you know The, the understanding something of what it's like To be the other person that that meaning of compassion and sympathy and the standard of neighbor love that is given in the commandment itself because uh, pity and compassion includes the idea of being able to relate to to be able to identify with the other person's difficulty and the standard of neighbor love is what you are to love your neighbor as the way that you love yourself connection, empathy, identifying as you love yourself. Interesting that in the great commandment here there is nothing said about loving your neighbor with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your spirit and with all your mind. I propose that that was not needed. God who you can't see in the same way and who has to have that first priority we are to love him with our whole being. But how do we love our neighbor? Well, enough is said. If you love them the way that you love yourself. That would seem to cover it. And elsewhere, Jesus gave the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now, somebody might be saying, what if you don't love yourself? Some have suggested that you can't really love others unless you love yourself. So the implication follows. Guess where you have to start? I just want to say no. That's really missing the point. That is making something that is intended to be looking outward into being self-absorbed. That's missing the point. Um, Ultimately, it is a matter whether I'm all about me or looking outwardly and the assumption here is that you already do love yourself and you're saying well some people don't well I think part of the difficulty there is we confuse a sense of self-esteem and self-confidence and uh, simply feeling good about yourself we we confuse that with loving yourself but if you think of loving yourself simply as just the way you are normally tuned into yourself just like you are normally you know thinking about what you need right now that would be the kind of self love i think that is the model here for loving others how do i love myself in that way well i care about myself physically so i eat when i'm hungry sometimes more than i should but that's how i love myself how, that's how i care that's how i think about that's how i'm self absorbed <laughs> when i'm hungry i eat when i'm thirsty i drink I drink coffee too. And I visit the doctor and the dentist. I take time to have fun, recreation. I, think about, I love myself socially, so I spend time with friends. I love myself spiritually, so I revel in the gospel and embrace the gospel. I also care about myself by taking time for recreation, so I take a lot of time to simply have fun and to play, more than I should probably. But essentially, the way I look after myself in all the areas of my life becomes the standard by which I am called to love my neighbor. I don't, haven't heard this said for a long time, but it seems to me that years ago there, there was sort of that sentiment that all that really mattered was the spiritual, get them saved. But that's not loving them the way I love myself. Because I love myself in a very broad area, my whole life, all the categories. And that becomes the way, the standard for which I am to love others. And when you think about it, in this story, the good Samaritan, he responded in exactly the way that I think you and I would want to be responded to if we were left in that kind of situation. I mean, think about it you're beat up, you're left for half dead, you're left along the roadside, I think you'd want someone to provide first aid. I think you would want someone to uh, transport you to some place where you can rest, in our case, to emergency. And then if there wasn't any health insurance and you needed money, you'd, you'd want to make sure that money wasn't an issue, you see. In other words, the good Samaritan responded exactly the way that he would have wanted someone to respond to him under similar circumstances. Neighbor love unleashed by compassion. Secondly, it went beyond the borders. The legal expert had asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, why in the world would he ask that? And we aren't told. Maybe he just wanted to you know to see how Jesus understood that and how he would uh, interpret it or maybe he wanted some boundaries because when you define something then you put boundaries around it who is my neighbor well the Jews interpret this in terms of members of their own fellow Jews Samaritans and foreigners were excluded from this category Lord who who is my neighbor Surely you don't expect me to include those hybrid Samaritans. Who was this victim anyway? Was he a Jew? Was he a Gentile? Was he a good man? Was he an evil man? Was he perhaps careless in taking this dangerous road? Because it was a dangerous road. Maybe he brought it in on himself. Does he deserve our help? After all, this was a dangerous road to be on. What if I help him and he gets beaten up all over again? What if that girl I encourage at the crisis pregnancy center gets pregnant again? What if the person I feed at the soup kitchen is still coming for meals next year? What if this hurting person I help never accepts the Lord? You know, I suggest that maybe the reason that there aren't any details given of who he is and i'm glad we don't we don't know who he was and you see that means that everybody who is in need is the one that we are to be samaritans to we protest surely you don't expect me to regard as neighbor those people of another ethnic race or another religion like Sikhs, Muslims, Hindus. I mean, this is Canada. We were here first. And surely, Lord, you would be quite pleased if I avoid helping certain kinds of sinners. You know, I, could, I, I can reach out to those people with respectable sins, you know, like greed and pride and arrogance and materialism, you know. But surely I don't have to help those people who are caught up in sins of the flesh. Who is my neighbor? We want neighbor defined so that we can draw some boundaries. But in this story, those questions were all irrelevant. There's no way of answering that question. And I am confident that Jesus would say, well, why does it matter anyway? There were only two things that mattered. The man needed help, and the Samaritan was in a place where he could help, as were both the priest and the Levi. But it's significant that in verse 36, Jesus has shifted the question. It's almost like the question, who is my neighbor, is not Very relevant but then in verse 36 he says which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the question isn't about who is my neighbor but the question is am I being a neighbor who was who was the true neighbor can the person needing mercy consider me a neighbor I wonder for our own pondering and prayerful reflection do I, do we have some boundaries that the Lord wants us to cross? Who are we inclined to exclude? Let's make that a matter of personal prayer, Lord by your spirit reveal to me those situations where I have been passing the other side neighbor love motivated driven unleashed by compassion went beyond the borders but even more important foundational to the rest is the third consideration it was approved by the Lord the love that the Samaritan demonstrated was obviously what he approved of. Remember, parables are true-to-life stories. They're told to illustrate a point. And it was none other than Jesus himself who wrote this script. And he made the Samaritan the hero. And as I said, who has become a metaphor for this kind of love. But think jesus created this parable in the exact way that he did in order to make a point so we might ponder we may not have an absolute answer but i think by way of application and implication it's good for us to ponder the question why would jesus make a despised samaritan the hero in this drama was it perhaps among other things to show that even those who were the most outstanding members of the faith community could still miss what mattered most could that be the reason such a contrast you know priest Levi outstanding members of the right faith community because Judaism was the revealed religion at the time and these were outstanding representatives of the same priest Levi and yet put in contrast with the Samaritan these failed at what mattered most how about today clergymen elders deacons Sunday school teachers any member in good standing It's like if we do all of these good things, all of these good Christian things like reading, studying the Bible, praying, worshipping, even fasting, keeping ourselves separate, that it's possible to practice all these Christian disciplines and the rituals and the routines that are good in themselves and to be passionate about our distinctive doctrines and yet we can miss what is really important. And... It's very possible, certainly this is indicated as a a possibility, I believe, by scholars. It could very well have been the religion itself that prevented the Levite and the priest from helping that victim. may have been the busyness, temple business, busyness, or maybe it was fear of defilement, passing by on the other side of this victim in case he should pass away while they were there and touching him and they would be defiled for a while, unable to carry on their religious routine. Religious ritual, extreme separation, concern for precise doctrine can distract from practicing love and mercy. Canadian Christian leader Don Pestursky writes in his book entitled Reinventing Evangelism. He says, I know of a woman named Yvonne, who after her husband had left her with two children for another woman, was told by her pastor that her presence is unhealthy for the marriages of the people in our church. I find it, I find it hard to believe but I trust the writing of Don Pestursky. Today, Yvonne is no longer a participant in any church, and she continues to wonder if God really is in this world. For all their worship and prayer and biblical teaching and calls for conversion and talk about love, they missed out on what it's about. And at the very time that Yvonne needed tons of support, They failed at the most basic meaning of neighbor love. Why the emotionally battered victim just might harm the well people in the church. So keep her distant, we will pass by on the other side. But God approves of this kind of love that is moved by compassion, that shows mercy, not just to our own people but to all people within our reach many occasions Jesus quoted these words from the Old Testament I desire mercy and not sacrifice what does it mean well something like this that his ministry to those who were ceremonially unacceptable was an act of mercy and more important at the time then the proper ceremonial correct ritual within the system. The call here for all of us, it's not going around looking for emergencies, but it's to be the kind of persons, the kind of individuals who out of the heart and as a way of life are agents of mercy agents of a compassionate kind of love the needs around us are overwhelming and if we were to respond every time we saw a need we would never be on time anywhere but we are to be the kind of people that do respond when when it's in our you know when God places it in front of us but there's something else here too Uh, We can't do it alone. Neighbor love is the kind of thing that churches and denominations and other Christian ministries do together, getting support. I believe your denomination, for example, supports world relief. Other things like locally, mustard seed, Salvation Army. Right now they're involved in helping with the emergency that's been caused by the fires in British Columbia last summer I was able to support them some as they were in Fort McMurray see neighbor love that's neighbor love and we do it together as well as being individuals who can stand out from time to time many other good uh, organizations like world World Vision and MCC Um, and so we're called To be the kind of people who gravitate to ways of expressing neighbor love. And God approves of that. Micah 6.8 He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I want to say in conclusion, we will probably never outnumber the non-Christians in Canada or any other place. We will probably never outnumber them, but we can outlove them. Not because we're competing with anybody, but by simply being who we are. And I think of all the non-Christians, and I I think of the, the newcomers refugees and others who are are recent immigrants into Canada and they're able to sort of view the situation from a fresh perspective. And I would hope and I would pray that they would see a bit of a pattern that it's especially the Christian churches that are welcoming and that are demonstrating neighbor love. And as we do that, we are being, we're living up to our identity doing kingdom work because we're people of his kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As living in the kingdom of this sin-cursed world, in the context of a fallen world with all of its evil and pain we as kingdom people are channels of his love his mercy his compassion helping to reduce the pain softening the bite helping with the healing kingdom people doing kingdom work reflecting the love and the compassion of the king himself while we await Is coming and when he comes he will judge evil and set things right but in the meantime we must be the presence the very aroma of Christ as he is in us and as he works through us I hope that somehow people outside will sense that yeah there is something special and I want to say that when it comes to something like this, you see, it doesn't matter whether we're a church of 50 people or we're a church of 500 people. We can still participate in this which matters so much. There's a pattern in Scripture that what we receive from Him, we pass on to others. Remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. By you, by your You know, prodigy, the whole world is going to be blessed. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing. We have been loved. We must pass it on. We have been treated with grace. We must treat others with grace. We have been forgiven, so we must be forgiving to others. We have received mercy. We must treat others and be neighbors of mercy. Let's pray. Father, what a responsibility and what a privilege that you have left in our hands, that we can be the people who reflect, who demonstrate, who are the very aroma of Jesus Christ. Would you lead us so that increasingly we might be that? And we ask it in the name of the one who we seek to honor and who we want to emulate In the name of jesus amen